So like I said, we have this exclusive statement where we think that, or lots of Christians think Jesus is the only way and the right way to know God. So how can we be sure that he is the right way? Especially when you consider the society that we live in, a postmodern, multi-ethnic, post-Christian, pluralistic society. How could we say that in all these religions that Christianity is the right one? Maybe you've heard a friend ask that question. Or maybe you've heard it said this way. How can you be so sure that there's only one God when there's so many other places in the world that worship other gods? Really, the question comes down to what I've called, why is Jesus unique? And we're doing this series called FAQ, not just because they're frequently asked questions, but because we have friends who ask questions. And so we want to give you tools We want to give you scripture. We want to give you some confidence in your faith to be able to humbly but confidently answer those questions. 1 Peter 3.15 says that we should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have, but we should do so with gentleness and respect. So that's how I come to this question today. But how is Jesus unique? Well, first of all, the majority of philosophies and religions in the world believe that there is a God. 94 to 96%, according to the Pew Research Center, say, yes, I believe in a God or gods or concept of God. So we're not really going to tackle the atheist, there is no God discussion today. Just can't do it in the amount of time we have. But consider this as well, that Christianity never intended on starting as a religion. Christianity started with the simple belief that there was this Jewish carpenter from rural Galilee that claimed to be the divine creator of the universe. And when you put it like that, it does sound a little crazy. Consider also that Jesus never traveled more than 100 miles from Jerusalem, Israel, in all of his life. He never held a public office. He was rejected by his own people and the religious rulers in his religion of the day. And only a handful of his devout followers stayed with him. Everyone else abandoned him, especially at his crooked trial and his very public execution. And then third, just consider the belief that if Jesus was the Messiah, meaning the promised savior to redeem God's people, actually not just God's people, all people, this news spread through the most powerful pagan empire of the day. Rome systematically tried to exterminate this belief that Jesus rose from the dead. And yet, all their historians, not all, but several of their historians record the fact that they routinely and often brutally beat Christians. They burned Christians in their streets. And And they have history recording that Jesus lived, that he was killed, and that his followers tried to spread this belief that he rose from the dead. And to date, Christianity is still the largest religion in the world, with over 2.1 billion people professing faith in Christ from this place called Galilee called Jerusalem from a man who was a carpenter who proclaimed to be the divine creator of the universe. (laughs) 
Christianity is the only religion of all the major religions in the world that proclaims that the supreme God who created the universe became fully visible and clearly recognizable in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we proclaim this faith in Christ, we proclaim the faith that these very first followers of Jesus in about 33 AD proclaimed. We proclaim that this faith in Christ that came through the persecution in the Roman Empire, that came through, finally, this Pax Romana, this idea that not only everyone could have peace in the Roman Empire as long as they agreed with the empire, but also that Christianity could have a foothold in that place, and they, they stopped the persecution. Fortunately, they institutionalized it as well, and so we also stand with the church through some very, very hard and harsh things. But the fact remains that through the centuries, this idea that Jesus lived, that he died, that he rose again, and that he is the Son of God remains. And remember, this started with a bunch of people who are Jewish who believe in one and only one God. So the first several centuries, they were trying to say, okay, how does this work? Especially as we're being attacked and persecuted, especially as other people are coming in and saying, well, maybe he wasn't God. Maybe he was just like a spirit figure. Maybe he was, all kinds of crazy things started coming out. And so these Christians started saying, you know, we need a way to proclaim our faith and understand our faith and make it easy to explain to others. And so these creeds, you might know some of them as the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Chaldonian Creed, the Anastasian Creed. These are all in this attempt to be able to articulate the distinction and the clarity and the uniqueness of Jesus. And in just a few minutes, we're gonna hear from some of our students who have been regularly involved with this church, who've been through two years of discipleship and confirmation, who took part in group conversations, who did their own individual work, and today will share their own statements of faith, their own creed, if you will. Now, think about that. No matter what age you are, could you briefly but clearly articulate how Jesus is unique? Do you have a creed? Or have you adopted one from someone else? And if you don't, then I, I offer just a few things for you to consider to answer that question. Because I believe there is gonna be a time, and the Pew Research Center agrees with me, let's go to the next one, where over the next 40 years, they project the number of switching that will happen amongst religions. Christianity will still be the highest religion, but take a look at the net change between the number of people that affiliate with a faith in Christ and the number of people who don't. A historic, orthodox, you might say biblical, but just I'll call it a true Christianity. 61 million people will move towards this idea of unaffiliated, where I can, maybe they don't believe in God or they design their own religion. They'll make kind of whatever creed they want. And I think this is showing us that it's gonna get harder and harder, or it's gonna get more and more and more important for us to be able to briefly, humbly, and clearly articulate what it means to believe in Jesus. So, I think we can see 
some uniquenesses of Jesus in, uh, in three words that Jesus says in John 14, 6. So maybe you'll want your Bible. We'll be in John for a few minutes here. But when Jesus is preparing his disciples that he is going to be crucified and he is going to go away from them and then he's going to come back through the power of the Spirit, his disciples don't get it and they say, Lord, where are you going? How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. So I think we can see some uniquenesses in this idea of Jesus, in this understanding of Jesus, just through those three words, the way, the truth, and the life. And first, when we say Jesus is the way, to believe that Jesus is the way does not mean that you have to ignore, hate, or avoid all other religions. I think every religion has a hint of truth in it. Every religion is trying to get to God. They're trying to find this peace with the universe, if you will. There's hints of truth in them. And if we really believe that God is the creator of the universe and that God knows everything, then we don't have to fear having conversations about other religions. So when we say Jesus is the way, we're saying, you know, one of the things we're saying is Jesus is the only one who truly lived a perfect life, and in him we understand what it means to be truly human. Jesus was the perfect human. Yes, I believe he was God, but he was the perfect human. He showed us how to, how to show immense unconditional love and dignity and respect to every human individual he came in contact with. He shows us what it means to live with integrity, to live with virtue, to live into truth. I mean, he gives us a very clear picture of what it means to love God and love others. And even people who disagree with Christianity or don't follow Jesus admire this. Do they not? In fact, historians will say the more and more you study someone, be it anyone in history, the more you'll see their flaws, the more you'll see their frailties the more you'll see just how human and perfect they are. And yet, the more one studies Jesus, even the people that don't believe in him, the more they're amazed, the more they admire, the more they, I would even go so far as to say, worship him. They don't find any faults in his character. They don't find impurity. They don't find badness. They find goodness. They find purity. They find humility. He truly shows us what it means to be human. In fact, most other religions say, here's the way to peace and goodness and self-control. And it's usually through strict discipline. It's usually through these repeated rituals. Or it's usually through a lot of rules. And yet, Christianity is the only religion that says, God comes to us because we couldn't get to him. So we see the uniqueness in Jesus being the way, but we also see it in Jesus saying, I'm the truth. When we say that Jesus is the truth, we're just saying we agree with what he said and did. I mean, Jesus proclaimed the authority and the power to forgive sin. And that's what got him in trouble with his religious, the elitists and the, and the rulers of the day. They're like, wait, 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 wait. You're saying that God 
in his grace could love such a guilty group of people? And Jesus said, in essence, that if God could rescue people and show that grace and mercy and justice and holiness, then people would truly see just how amazing this God is, just how unconditionally he does love the world. I mean, Jesus is the only one who says, I love you unconditionally and completely, and you've sinned. (laughs) And you're separated from God, and yet I forgive that sin, I will pay for that sin with my life, and I will make a way for you to come to God. Now, without trying to be too simplistic, I would say it maybe this way. If there is a God, and he did create the universe, and he did create the universe with order and beauty and purpose, which I believe we can see when we look at the creation, then maybe this God would have a standard for how the world was to live. And that as the creator, he could name that standard. Jesus certainly talks about a standard. And we can see it in his uniqueness, not only of being the way and the truth, but also of being the life. Again, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This claim that Jesus is the life is really, truly, I believe, a claim to his divinity. Now, some people say, well, Jesus really didn't say that he was God. He might have said he was God's son, but that could be different. He could just be saying he's a really good person. Well, in Mark 14, 61 and 62, when he's being accused by the high priest that he is the Christ, the anointed one, He says, I am, and you shall see me sitting at the right hand of power, capitalized, God, and coming in the clouds of heaven. Luke 22 says almost the same thing. If you're the Christ, as as he's being questioned, they say, tell us, are you the son of God then, he says? And he says, yes, I am. And they say, what further proof do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Earlier in his ministry, John 5, Jesus has healed someone on a holy day, on a day of rest, on a day that there's not supposed to be healing, although the day of rest was a day to give praise to God and and acknowledge that he gives us life. So he is working on that day, and they are persecuting him. But they say, for this reason, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, not just because he was breaking that law, but because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And if that's not clear enough, John 10, 30 says, the father and I are one. Jesus claimed to be divine. He can't be this really, really amazing teacher of all goodness and morality and then be lying about being God's son. That's not a good teacher. So Jesus says, I'm life. He says it this way in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they will know me, they will know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Meaning to believe that Jesus is life is to believe that life is about a relationship with God. That is much fun as having amazing food or having the latest fashion or owning a big house or driving a fast car, as much fun as that might be in a moment, that it ultimately will not fulfill us. There will still be this sense of something being unfulfilled or unsatisfied in us. 
Because when Jesus says he's life, he says that's the way and the truth to life. And these students have learned that there is a God who created the world, who set a standard, and in his love let us choose to follow him. And we can accept or reject that. In fact, I would say that potentially, we'll see in a moment, when these students give their creed, but potentially it sounds very similar to one written in 1530. Think about it, nearly 500 years ago. The Augsburg Confession says, we cannot obtain forgiveness of sin and righteousness before God by our own merits, works, or satisfaction. But that we receive forgiveness of sin and become righteous before God by grace, for Christ's sake, through faith when we believe that Christ suffered for us and that for his sake, sin is forgiven and righteousness and eternal life are given to us. So when we confirm these students today, we're not confirming them with arrogance or exclusivity, that we have the hold on it. We are, we are confirming them or agreeing with their faith that, that God did make a way for all of us to come to him but it's through acknowledging that we can't do it in our own efforts or our own religions. We can only do it through faith in Christ. We are confirming them that they continue their journey and the confidence they understand Jesus as the way. They believe Jesus as the truth and they continue on because Jesus is life. So Dorothy and O'Reilly, would you come up here, please? There were several students that were a part of this confirmation, this discipleship and confirmation group, but uh, Dorothy and Wiley are the ones that are being confirmed today. So uh, your main teacher was Jason, and Jason says this about you. Dorothy and Wiley, well, they both know what is truth, and they rarely back down once they've made up their minds of what that is. <laughs> One of the things that he has seen with you both is how you can understand and rationalize that others who have different religious backgrounds than you can feel just as strongly about their faith as you feel about yours. And, and that's remarkable for your understanding, for your compassion, and your empathy towards someone who might be different than you. When, when you faced in your group complex, difficult situations, you and all of the students that were a part of that didn't run away from those hard conversations. They didn't stick their head in the sands and ignore those conversations. They walked into those moments and tried to discuss the different points that people might come from. And ultimately, you and the rest of your peers understood that love is the game changer. Not being right, not beating people over the head with your Bible, but love opens the door for people to hear truth. So Jason's very proud of all of the students that were a part of this DC group. And he says it was not an easy task. But just because you two stand up here, he says all the people that were a part of that were a part of supporting you and you supporting them. So thank you for that. So he says, I could go on and on about Dorothy, Wiley, Katie, Hannah, Jacob, and Bella, but I think the best is yet to come with how each of them will put to use what they have learned in the last two years. So we heard, um, I heard at least when he wrote this to me, about Supermo 
and his two buddies. So that must be, there must be a story there. But favorite memories were also like, ooh, ask them about VeggieTales. So, Dorothy, we're going to start with you. What was a favorite memory of these two years of going through the Bible and trying to understand and, and really adopt a faith for you? Well, I have two. So one of mine is how Hannah, Bella, and I found a VeggieTales reference for literally everything. <laughs> Whether it be, a, okay, well, most of the time it was a song, but sometimes it was a quote. But and would you break out in song, too? Yes. Just hypothetically? <laughs> Do you have one for us? No. <laughs> Reference? Nope. Okay. Do you, how about that? You said there's two. And then the other one was we got off topic a lot, like a lot, but we still managed to learn everything, which is, which is good. Um, but my favorite time we got off topic was when Jacob randomly said, have you seen those videos about the cats and the cucumbers? <laughs> and so then we had to pause class and watch a mashup of cats freaking out over cucumbers behind them. It was really stupid. And how so did that fit into your <laughs> lesson, I'm it guessing? It oh, it didn't. It was just fun. <laughs> it was a good object lesson somewhere. That's awesome. <laughs> well, um, is, is our cats and cucumbers in your statement of faith? No. No? No, they are not. <laughs> okay. Well, God can use anything, certainly cats and cucumbers. So how did you go about articulating and creating your statement of faith? I believe that God created the universe and the earth and everything in between. He created me in his image, and I am, as it says in Psalm 139:14, fearfully and wonderfully made. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary. I believe he was crucified, died, was buried, and three days later rose again and is seated now in heaven at the right hand of God. Because God gave his Son to die on the cross for my sin, I am forgiven and I take comfort in that. When Jesus died on the cross, he saved me by doing so, and I am eternally grateful. It is awesome to think that if I was the only one that needed to be saved, Christ still would have died because he loves each and every individual more than anyone can express. God shows unconditional love to me, and because of that, I think that striving to love everyone in the same manner as Christ does will improve the community I live in. To live like Christ, to me, means trying to help people without expecting something in return. And as I said, loving everyone with the same unconditional love Christ has shown me, answering questions about God asked me by peers to the best of my ability and being honest in every circumstance because it's better to tell the truth and be uncomfortable than lie and not be trusted mm -hmm. and or disliked. After all, in the words of Augustine, church is more like a hospital for those being sanctified rather than a museum for per perfect saints. It's okay to mess up every once in a while because although God may let you fall on your face, he won't let you fall apart, and he can provide the strength and endurance to get back up and keep trying. When I accepted Christ into my heart, I had my name written in the book of life, and I know that when I die, I will live eternally with Jesus in heaven, and in the meantime, I'll keep Jesus at the center of my life and strive to serve him. Wow. Amen. That was good. Hopefully we recorded that so you can go back and listen. I'm sure we did. So, Wiley, since you don't have to follow that statement of faith immediately, you could tell us one of your favorite memories. Okay, good. Cause I then we won't have to compare it the two. <laughs> right? That'll work. Because we love you both individually. Yes. So. You have a favorite memory? From yes, I do. Your group? It kind of expands into two. So, like you said, Supermo. That was one topic of when we were talking about Moses, how he came down after he got the Ten Commandments and he was glowing and 
I can't remember who made that assumption. It's like, so he was like glowing like he had a superpower. And so that was kind of the birth of Supermo. And that was kind of like a running joke for practically the rest of DC. And um, DC, superheroes, comics. Ah. Mm. Yeah. I heard there were a lot of superhero references. Actually, no, we, we um, then after that came, so it was Supermo, and then we came up with his sidekick, Aaron, and his flying sheep. His magical flying sheep. Magical flying sheep. But then it happened almost every time when Jason asked me to read a verse of the Bible, I would mispronounce words and then look up to see everybody just busting a gut. So that was the other thing I had just finished up. I look up and everybody's just, <laughs> but like, what, what did I do? What did I do this time? And so they're like, figure up. Okay. It sounds like a superhero name. How would you pronounce it? And it's like, so we mashed up Figura and Supermo. And that became our dynamic duo of DC. Wow. See, look at what you have to look forward to, young people. I mean, who says that learning about God can't be an adventure? Mm. Well, Wiley, you worked on a statement of faith as well. Yes. Would you share that with us? All right, then. I believe in God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Bible is the word of God. I believe that Jesus died for our sins, and I believe that the Lord is preparing a place for us, and he will return someday. This means that I live every day knowing that God is trying to help me in my journey, mm. knowing that I belong to Jesus and I get to enter his kingdom because of his sacrifice. This also means that any day could be my last on earth because I don't know when he's coming back. So I should do what God needs me to do in my time here. My Bible will be a guide to me as his words are relative to my life. I will have to be trusting, putting my life into God's hands, working for his plans. I need to be listening, listening more and talking less in my conversations with God. Again, powerful, powerful truth. Well, I've got a few statements for you, a few questions, if you will, for you to have statements back. Answers I do. So just. So as you don't take the faith of your parents as, as borrowed faith, but as you now stand and say, this is my faith, I've articulated my faith, we want to see you as not just kids of parents who've prayed for you, who've discipled you, godparents and grandparents who've supported you, a church who loves you. We want to see you as young adults who contribute to God's kingdom. So, do you confess that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, and do you desire, with the help of God's Spirit, to continue as his disciple? I do. Do you believe that with the church that the Bible is the inspired word of God telling the story of God and God's people in the past, present, and future? I do. I do. And as you continue in life, do you intend to keep worshiping God with his people, the church, keep using the Holy Spirit's gifts to build this church, and to keep reaching out in love to the world around you? I do. I do. Well then, with your statement of faith and your commitment to Jesus and your baptism five years ago, we affirm you as not only God's children, but as equal and loved participants in the kingdom of God. And I've got some certificates for you on your, on your achievement. So that's yours. We'll do it like the showbiz. There you go. You can 
I, I, I didn't practice that. There. As well as acknowledging this mark in your life, we, we acknowledge that it is not a graduation, that it is a step in your lifelong journey with Jesus. And as a step and as participants in this kingdom, we want to affirm that, but we also want to acknowledge the people that have prayed for you and prepared you and been a part of your life along the way. So if we could just step down here. Before we have communion, we'd like to, we'd like to pray for you both. And so anyone that has been an influence in your life, godparents, grandparents, parents, you are invited to come up. Let's step up just a little more. There, right there. And we're going to pray for them. And then in a few minutes, we'll have communion. Friends, this is the Lord's table. Scripture says that, that all will come, or many will come from the east and the west and the north and the south to sit at the Lord's table in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus invites each and every one of us to share in the feast of this kingdom that is celebrated and, and symbolized in our communion. Now, according to Luke, the risen Jesus was at the table with some disciples and he took the bread and he blessed the bread and he broke the bread and he gave it to the disciples and it was then that they recognized him. So I pray that this isn't just a repeated ritual through the centuries, but this is a moment where you recognize the risen Jesus in your life today. Did you hear those words today? Not only the surrender all, but the joy of the full salvation. If you have never said yes to Jesus, what saying yes to Jesus means is, yes, I am a sinner, but I am a dearly loved, absolutely perfectly created by God person who has sinned and left him. And as I say yes to Jesus, I am brought back to him. And all of my past sin, all of my present sin, and even all of my future sin has been made clean, clear, covered, and washed away by Jesus. And I am saved, and you are saved. So as you go today, if you don't know that, please stick around. Talk to Jacob in the prayer cove. Ask someone that has a name tag on. Say, I want that. I need that. There is more to this life. It's found in him. So would you go with the knowledge of whose you are, that you are God's. You are the one who is made away. And who you are, you are a dearly loved sinner. You are the light of the world. So go shine bright in a world that needs it. And make a new friend on the way out. Have a fabulous Sunday. Congratulations, Dorothy and Wiley.